Here's what's going on this week at ALCF. As part of our Vision 2020 campaign, we've put together six incredible short-term missions trips to three different locations, Mexico, the Philippines, and Zambia. I'd love to share a little testimony about my last experience in Mexico. Um, as I had called my Uber driver to take me to the airport, I was shortly picked up thereafter. And um, as we're driving, leaving my home, he says, you know, why are you going to SFO? And what are you going to be doing? And I said, I'm going down to Mexico to build some homes for those in poverty. And he literally stopped his car to the side of the road and turned around and says to me, man, I can't thank you enough for what you guys do down there. Something about a home gives these people hope. It gives them a purpose. They feel more established. And um, that just told me right there that what we're doing down there is a blessing from God. He is truly speaking through us into the lives and hearts of these people. And it is an honor and a joy to be able to carry out his will here. So with that, we've got some upcoming mission trips scheduled to Mexico. What we'll be doing there is serving those in poverty by constructing churches and homes in the community for the pastors of Tijuana and Baja, California. The trip is scheduled for June 21st through 24th. We've got a second trip scheduled for August 22nd through the 25th. You can go online, submit a short-term application, and register today. Go to alcf.net slash global missions or go to the contributor station after service where you can also pick up a bookmark and a Vision 2020 wristband. Everyone has influence and Summit Sunday is right around the corner. Join us on Sunday, June 9th in the Fellowship Hall right after service for our Global Leadership Summit kickoff event where you can register, volunteer, and learn more about becoming a key influencer. Don't miss our upcoming women's conference, Building a Firm Foundation. Sister Karen Loritz and her team will guide women of all ages through an inspirational day of impactful teaching, worship, and fellowship. This event takes place on Saturday, September 7th from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Join us for Seniors Night Out, a great opportunity to meet and bond with other 50-plus seniors for a memorable night of fellowship, delicious food, a message from Pastor Brian Loritz, and worship led by Dave and Julie Rains. This event takes place on Friday, June 14th from 6.30 to 9 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall. If you are new to Abundant Life and want to learn about our story, vision, and values, be sure to join Pastor Brian at our guest luncheon, This is ALCF. The event takes place on Sunday, June 23rd from 12 to 1 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall. To sign up for any of these upcoming events, go to alcf.net slash signups or check out the ALCF app. And remember, Abundant Life exists to make a better you for a better world. So, Father, that's our prayer as we gather, that you would be the center, that you'd be the center of everything, Lord Jesus, and that we would reorient our, our lives around the way of Jesus. So, Father, we're not, we're not inviting you in to assist what we've already got going on. We're reordering our lives around you. And so whatever that looks like, Lord Jesus, we are completely open and available. And Holy Spirit, we need you to guide us in that endeavor. Now, Father, would we, would we hear from you right now? We're going to take a deep dive into a, a topic we've all heard about, but most of us, I'm guessing, haven't really heard a message on. And so, Father, would you just, um, would you just give us ears to hear and show us, Holy Spirit, what that looks like specifically in our own lives? We just love you, and we want to represent you well. This gathering is just the tip of the iceberg. 
church isn't a building, it's a people on mission. And so, Father, we want to live on mission for you. Be with me, Father, I pray. In Jesus' name, I ask it all. Amen and amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, meet me in Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Um, Again, I want to remind you, um, every week we come together, we want to experience God. It's not about the person, uh, but next week the person God's going to be using to usher us into his presence is Montel Jordan. He'll be leading us in worship. I want to remind you to be here for that. And then we're going to be talking about uh, this issue of um, radical hospitality today. And there is a phenomenal book that I was so blown away with. Um, I know I say that about every book I read, but really this time. Um, it's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And it's, it's in our resource center. And I want to encourage you to pick it up. It'll blow your mind, all right? Now, she's talking about how she uses our, her home for hospitality. But remember, she lives in the South. She's a full-time homemaker, all right? Because you're going to read this going, oh, I'm such a loser. I'm such a loser. I'm such a loser. Temperate, okay? But nonetheless, it, I, think, I think you'll find it a great encouragement to you. Hebrews 13, pick me up in verse 1. I'm going to read for, uh, two verses to you, but I'm really only going to preach on one verse. Here we go. The writer says, let brotherly love continue. And then here's a verse we're going to key on. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. When we come to the book of Hebrews, we don't know who wrote it. It's one of the great mysteries of the Bible. Um, We are totally clueless. Um, I've I've sat in uh, Bible college and seminary classes where we banter back and forth, um, uh, guessing at who could have written. At the end of the day, we really don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Um, Whoever it was, him or her, uh, while we don't know the identity of the author, we know exactly who the recipients are. I love this. The recipients are recent converts uh, to Christianity. They're ethnic Jews who have just converted uh, to Christianity. And um, sort of like how I was saying when I moved here, just, man, right away the bottom falls out. Well, uh, that's what's going on with the Hebrews. Since coming to Jesus Christ, the bottom falls out. In fact, when you read through the book of Hebrews, especially in, uh, in chapter 10, uh, we, we understand that um, these individuals, um, they had been doing their own thing, walking in the world, and then all of a sudden God shows up in their lives, and as soon as they get converted, man, um, some have gotten beaten. Others have been thrown in prison for their faith. Others have had their property confiscated because they're followers of Jesus Christ. And I love it. Just love the realness of the Bible. These new converts are starting to do the math. They're like, since following Jesus, my life hasn't gotten better. In fact, it's actually gotten worse. See, I love this. So if you're here with us today and you uh, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, here's exactly why you can trust the Bible. Because if the Bible were just a bunch of made-up stories, we would never include the book of Hebrews. I mean, because it just comes through the front door. 
And it just is in a very real way says there are plenty of people out there who since following Jesus on some levels, their life hadn't gotten better. It's actually gotten worse. In fact, if you're honest, some of us can actually say that's kind of my testimony. Since following Jesus, just all kinds of horrific stuff has happened to me. Health crisis, relationship crisis, lost my job. Um, All kinds of stuff had happened. And, and, And here's what I love. See, the Bible doesn't say to Christians, we get a pass out of trouble. But the difference between Christians in the world is we have someone who goes with us in the trouble. So I want you to understand that. In fact, the book of Hebrews, hear me. Part of my role as a pastor is to protect you from false teachers. The book of Hebrews actually flies in the face of these prosperity heretics who would actually say, if you have enough faith, you'll get everything you want. That brand new range with the 26 inch rims, the whole package. And the Bible says, not so fast. Jesus isn't your genie in a bottle that you will go through some things. So here's the writer, he picks up his pen and he's writing to these people and he has one major assignment. He wants to, he wants to keep them from giving up on Jesus. So his major theme in the book of Hebrews is the supremacy of Christ over all things. He wants us to understand Jesus Christ is better than. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than the prophets. He's better than the old covenant. This is the message of the book of Hebrews. It may not feel like it right now, but the truth is Jesus is better than. And then in Hebrews 10, 39, he says, we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. The writer of Hebrews is not saying you can lose your salvation, but here's what he's saying. If you give up on Jesus because Jesus didn't answer a prayer, a prayer for more money, a prayer for a job, a prayer for health, then that really reveals you weren't really following Jesus in the first place. Preach, pastor. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Show me anybody who professes to follow Jesus, and then all of a sudden they just say, I'm not not a Christian anymore. I'll show you someone who didn't lose their faith. I'll show you a person who never really had it. Jesus is my Santa Claus who helps me to get the gifts I want. And when the gifts that I want aren't coming, I'll give up on this Santa Claus, and I'll just go somewhere else. So the writer of Hebrews says, hang in there. Hang in there. Our time on this earth is just a blip on the map of eternity. And then to these suffering people, he now says this in Hebrews 13. Love the brothers. Show hospitality. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. These people are hurting. They're like about to give up on Jesus, and you're telling them to do stuff? Like, I could understand the writer of Hebrews pretty much says, you know what, I, I know you're hurting. I know you've, you feel like you're, you're going through a hard time. So well, why don't you just take a hiatus from coming to church? Just, just call a timeout, sit at home, live stream the bad boy. I, I could see if he would have said that. You know, don't, don't serve in ministry any longer. D- don't, don't come, just get healed up. Take a break. He doesn't say that. Instead, he says to these hurting people, engage, serve, love. 
Show hospitality. Don't take time out. Sort of like an individual. I've talked to some of you. Uh, in fact, I was just talking to one of the guys here at the church during, during the meet and greet time. I was asking him about his knee. He had a knee replacement surgery. I've talked to several people who've had knee replacement surgeries. <clears throat> incredibly painful. And you get the thing replaced, incredibly painful. Here you are after surgery. You're laying in the bed maybe a couple days later. And in walks the physical therapist. Physical therapist is not going to let you go, oh, it's too painful. I'm just going to lay in bed and wait till this thing gets better. No, she's going to make you get out of bed and say, we got to get some movement here, even though it's going to hurt. But on the other side of movement is healing. Laying around ain't going to fix it. You need movement. This is exactly what the writer of Hebrews is, is doing. He or she is serving as a physical therapist going, you've got some church hurt to you? You've got some Jesus disappointment in you? Stop moping around. The way you push through it is to get off your hind parts and engage. <laughs> Love the brothers. Show hospitality. All this year we've been looking at the theme, uh, Bay Area Lighthouses. We've been looking at the mission of Jesus. And we've reached the conclusion, 10 million people in the Bay, 2 to 3% Christian uh, here in the Bay Area. This isn't the Bible Belt. What does it look like to reach the Bay? Um, you can't do enough services here at Abundant Life to reach 10 million people. We understand that simple math. But what we can do is instead of having an addition mindset to church, we have a multiplication mindset. So what if each Christian who comes to any church in the Bay, but especially uh, uh, Abundant Life, actually says church is not just what happens in the building. In fact, church in the Bible is never even associated with a building. But, but what if I am the church? So church is not something I do. It's actually who I am. And then what if we look at the theme verse that we began the year with when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, Matthew 5, 13. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. And then it says, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. He says, here's who you are. You are salt and you are light. And the purpose, statement of being, this is who you are, of salt and light, is to interact with the world. In fact, light needs darkness in order to exist. So here's Jesus. He's saying, I'm actually calling you, and I've placed you in some very dark places. Shine. So what if we look at all the spheres of our lives? Work. What if we looked at uh, that apartment complex we're in, that neighborhood we live in? As, as a dark place that God has called us to, that university campus, not just to earn an education or earn a wage, but to shine as a light. What does it look like to live on mission with Jesus? This morning, I want to share with you one of the primary ways, and I, I think it's just, a, it's just a great tragedy of the church that we don't talk about this enough. One of the primary ways we shine as lights is through what Rosaria Butterfield calls radical hospitality. And I want to look at it with you. Come with me to verse 2 of Hebrews chapter 13. The writer of Hebrews again says, do not neglect. Now, that's, that phrase, do not neglect, it's actually one word in the English. It's actually a command. It's what we would call in Greek construction an imperative. So the writer of Hebrews is commanding. He's not 
suggesting. He's not giving us tweetable advice to consider. Um, He's commanding. This isn't a social media post on his opinion or her opinion. He's commanding. What is he commanding? He says, I am commanding you, show hospitality to strangers. That phrase, show hospitality to strangers, is actually one word in the Greek. It is the word philozinius. Philozinius. It's a compound word, philo, which we get the word Philadelphia from. It's the idea of love. Zinius actually means foreigner or stranger. So the idea of hospitality is showing love to foreigners, people you don't know. So radical Christ-exalting hospitality is not just having friends over or hanging out with friends, but it is using your resources to engage strangers. He says, I'm commanding you to do this. This is at the heart of what it means to be Christian. William Barclay says it this way, Christianity was and still should be the religion of the open door. What does this look like? When the writer of Hebrews is writing in the ancient world, obviously you, um, there weren't um, courtyard Marriott's or Ritz-Carlton half-moon bays for you to just uh, check into when you were going on a journey or a trip. If you were going to Jericho, you didn't go online and check out the Airbnbs there in Jericho. No. Travel back then demanded that people showed you hospitality. So here's what you would do. You'd be on some trip and you'd, um, um, you know, go to some town or just, just going, we've been traveling all day. A day's journey was about 18 miles. We're tired. We've been walking or we've been on the back of this horse, this mule. And, man, we just need somewhere to lay our heads. So you'd come to a town. You'd stand outside the city gates. The elders gathered there of that town at the city gates. You would say, hey, listen, uh, me and my family, were on this trip and we just need a place to stay. And we, 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 just, we just have to do it. And... Um, And then they would go and they would find someone you had never seen who didn't know you and that person would open up their home to you. You, the stranger, would be invited in. They would feed you. They would feed your animals. They would wash your feet at great cost and expense to themselves. They would show you hospitality. This is exactly what the writer of Hebrews is saying. I'm calling you. To show hospitality. Rodney Stark, in his wonderful book, The Rise of Christianity, he asked the question, how did Christianity begin with 12 individuals? And all of a sudden, it just explodes on the scene. He says the primary way in which Christianity grew was through hospitality. I want to come through the front door, and I just want to tell you, at no other point in human history do I believe this to be more so true than now. People now are primarily coming to faith, not because people are um, giving them great, smart, logical answers to their questions, but they're coming to faith primarily out of relationship. And the primary way in which relationships are instigated and formed is through radical Christ-exalting hospitality. I've been studying this all this week, and I've been stunned at how much the Bible speaks about hospitality. In fact, the Bible actually says hospitality is a sign of spiritual maturity. 
When Paul is listing the qualifications for spiritual leadership within the church, and I believe these lists are something every Christian should aspire to, listen to what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, as he's just clicking off the qualifications for people who serve in leadership in the church of Jesus Christ, something we should all aspire to. He says, therefore, an overseer that is a spiritual leader must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, It's as if he's saying, if you have a person you're looking at for spiritual leadership within the church, and they're stingy with their possessions, they never have strangers open uh, over at their house to sit at the table, don't even consider them. Hospitality is a badge of spiritual maturity. So if you're a person, you just kind of look at your home as an oasis and, man, this is kind of where I just want to pull up and check into at the end of the day. Uh, I don't like having people over the house. If I do have people over, I want to make sure that they're cool people, not weird people, people I already know. So I know I'm going to have a good time with them. And that's just kind of how you view your house and you never have strangers open or it's a rare thing. You don't understand Christianity. Radical hospitality has nothing to do with the size of your home but it has everything to do with the size of your heart. We've been called to be people of radical hospitality. After all, this is what the first church does. In the book of Acts, there's this feast um, that happens on the day of Pentecost. All these people from across the then known world, different ethnicities, I'll come back to that in just a few moments, in different economic brackets. They come to Jerusalem. Peter gets up, preaches, 3,000 people or more get saved. Acts 2, 42 to 47 says this about them, that they were breaking bread from house to house and that people were selling their possessions and giving to those who are in need. It's radical hospitality, friends. It's the roots of the church. I was preaching at a church five years ago. I'll tell you which one is Willow Creek. At the time, Willow Creek boasts a membership of about 30,000, 40,000 people um, in Barrington, Illinois. And here I am, August of 2014. I'm, I'm preaching there. It's actually at their Global Leadership Summit, a quarter of a million people um, logged in online. And the, the sanctuary is filled, the whole nine. I get there a little bit early. They give me a tour. And um, the thing that blew me away was their wellness center. If you're ever in Chicago go to Willow Creek and just check out their wellness center. I'd never seen anything like it before. The leadership takes this call to hospitality seriously, and they go, how can we do radical corporate hospitality? So they decided to raise $10 million to build this wellness center. They got the money in hand, paid cash, didn't take out a loan. And this is where people come who are in need. When you walk in, first thing you see is the area where they give away food. Don't think food pantry, think whole paycheck, I mean whole foods. I'm talking produce section, sliding glass doors that house refrigerated or frozen items. You feel like you're in a grocery store. I asked my host, why did you put all this extra money into this? He says one word, dignity. We want those who are hungry not to feel like they're in a food pantry. We want them to feel like they're in a grocery store. We want to give them dignity. Right next to that is the place where you got your clothes. Again, it doesn't feel like the average place where you just kind of give away clothes. It's, think Target or Target. 
fitting rooms where you tried stuff on, racks, most of the items were brand new clothes that the people had bought. You go a little bit further, there's their employment center and counselors. If you're looking for jobs and attached to it is a dental office. I said, explain that to me. Why is a dental office attached to the employment center? Well, they said, easy. A, a lot of people have a hard time getting jobs, particularly homeless. They don't interview well. And the reason why they don't interview well is because of their teeth. So we figured if we can fix their teeth for free, they'd feel confident enough to interview well and they'd get the job. And then I haven't even got to the, to the cherry on top. Past the employment office was the automotive center. Think Jiffy Loop. Where they fix people's cars for free. In fact, they keep a ticker. One of the tickers was the amount of single moms they had serviced that year at the automotive center. That day, 588 of them. I said, so tell me about this. He says, look, already all, over a 1,000 people have joined our church. And the reason why these non-believers are coming to our church is because we're helping to rewrite the narrative of Christianity. See, the world thinks Christianity is just all about self and the church is all about self. Give me money, give me money, give me money. When they see radical hospitality... We're taking the world's resources and we're helping other people. He says, that is a phenomenal witness to the world. I lived in New York. Let me just bring it down from a corporate level to a personal level. I lived in New York and some of my colleagues had, um, before coming to New York, lived down south. And one of them said, actually, for 10 years, just about every day, I prayed God would, would, would bring a Chick-fil-A. He says, man, I've just been tearing in the spirit. God, bring a Chick-fil-A here speaking in an unknown language, the whole nine. And he says, the Lord heard my prayers. And sure enough, um, the new Chick-fil-A opened up. We were on 38th Street. Uh, new Chick-fil-A opened up on 37th. He says, man, if I would have prayed a little bit harder, it would have been on 38th. <laughs> so what my friend does who loves Chick-fil-A, he says, listen, just about every time I, I take a cab to work or from work, um, I'll, um, I'll always say to the cab driver, most of the times who's an immigrant, foreigner, stranger, Hey, have you ever had Chick-fil-A? And they'd be like, no. He says, let me bless your life. <laughs> he says, I want your pulpit Chick-fil-A, keep the meter running. Goes inside, buys this person Chick-fil-A. Meter running, they're not driving anywhere. So he's paying. Gives him Chick-fil-A, says, over Chick-fil-A, I always ask him two questions. I says, tell me about the best ride you've ever had. And tell me about the most horrific ride you've ever had, go. And he says, just over chicken strips and God-ordained Chick-fil-A lemonade. <laughs> he says, a friendship is emerging. And that person is no longer a foreigner or an immigrant. They're becoming a friend. And Jesus shows up over some Chick-fil-A in a cab. Radical hospitality. It is converting strangers into friends. This is the call of Jesus. Now, I know, I know. Some of y'all are freaking out right now. Your chest is getting tight. Your esophagus is tightening up. 
Because, man, this is, this is y'all's house we're talking about. This is, your, this is your apartment you're talking about. People can just be very funny about this. True story, my wife and I were sitting down with a couple uh, from Augusta. And they do very, very well. And, uh, you know, I'm a big golf guy, as you all know. We're sitting out with this couple over lunch. And I'm like, man, you live in Augusta. And the Masters tournament, they're like, yeah, we never go. I says, why not? And they go, we, we always rent our house out for about $35,000 for the week. Um, she says, but we don't do that anymore. I says, why not? She says, well, last time we did that, Rolex came and rented the house for $50,000 for the week. Then they threw a party in my house and invited us over. And what I saw, I couldn't believe. Honey, am I telling the truth? She says, they were putting cups down on my coffee table with no coasters. I'm like, for 50 k Buy a new coffee table. But we can be really peculiar about our house, right? And about our stuff, right? Until you realize it's not your house. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. We're not owners. And some of us, when it comes to the stranger, we're sort of like Martin. I love that hit show, Martin. My favorite show on television. Love Martin, 90s sitcom. Um, Martin's always got people over his house. Tommy, we don't know if he got a job or not. Cole, Gina, Pam, the whole nine. But from time to time, there's a guy who shows up. His name is Brubman. <laughs> from the fifth flow. Oh, y'all laughing like you know. Y'all were just judging me for bringing up Martin, but now you really laughing. I got you, I got you. Brubman never gets invited over to the home. He just kind of opens up the window, climbs in with that little slow bop he's got. And they always treat him like an inconvenience or a nuisance. It's kind of how we see strangers. Inconvenience. Nuisance. But see, this is the way of Jesus. If you just read through the Gospels, again, it's just amazing how much hospitality comes up. Jesus' primary ministry wasn't behind a pulpit. It was in a home, eating good food, surrounded by strangers. A prostitute is rubbing his feet. In another instance, he, <laughs> I love it, he goes to Zacchaeus and says, I'm coming to your house. And there over good food, good drink, the gospel shows up. The night before he dies, in just a few moments, we're going we're gonna to observe communion. But what's happening? They're in a little upper room observing the Passover meal. Jesus is always eating, always surrounded by people. And to be a Christian is to go in that same way. It's to be people of radical hospitality. Now, here's where the power shows up. What is, what is one of the powerful things about hospitality? Again, it converts strangers into friends. This is the story, again, of Acts 2, different ethnicities coming together. Jesus shows up. The Holy Spirit shows up. They're selling their possessions. They're giving to each other as they had need. They're breaking bread, going from house to house. It is a stunning display of unity. If you read the New Testament, 
the church was the only place in the Roman world where you would walk in and there would be slave with free, male and female, having, having incredible interactions in a non-sexual way where they were being esteemed and Jew and Gentile together. If you didn't see that outside the church, Christians were known for their love feasts together. When you think of the state Mississippi, you probably don't think of a great place for racial unity. Mission Mississippi is an organization that exists to bring blacks and whites, various ethnicities together in unity, in Christ-exalting diversity. How do they do it? They don't do it by preaching sermons, although that's helpful. They don't do it just by reading good books. How do they do it? They have monthly meals together. And strategically, blacks and whites are positioned at the table. They're hearing each other's stories and narratives. They're praying with one another. One older white man confessed his racism and with tears in his eyes talked about how through those meals, the Holy Spirit showed up and broke down the walls of racism and division in his own heart and life. It really is true. Proximity breeds empathy. Distance breeds suspicion. I was just preaching um, in Orlando a couple days ago. And I was talking about some of these things. And a woman came up, her and her husband pastor church in South Texas. And she just kept on saying, but yeah, but we got to get these undocumented people out of here. And these undocumented people and these undocumented people. And I, I just paused. I said, look, I don't want to get into the legalese of any of this. But do you have any undocumented friends? that you know are undocumented? See, if you're not doing life with people, they become categories. It's at the table. In these divided times, we need Democrats and Republicans to sit at the table together. Blacks and whites, male and female. This is the power of radical hospitality. Who sits at your table? Who doesn't look like, act like, think like, or vote like you? Some of you are like, that's easy, that's my wife. <laughs> Let's go home on this one. Why should I show hospitality? Why should I consider these things? Again, from Genesis through Revelation, the Bible is just hospitality after hospitality after hospitality. In fact, that's how Genesis opens up. God creates this place, uses his own resources at expense to himself, creates the garden, creates two strangers, drops them right in the garden, and they enjoy his hospitality. And as a result, these two strangers now become friends with one another, friends with him. And it ends with hospitality. Where the book of Revelation, the feast of the new covenant, people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue are going to be seated together at the feast of the new covenant. And in the middle of it, in a very well-known passage, hear the hospitality. David says in Psalm 23, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And then Psalm 23, verse 5, he says these words, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Don't you see the hospitality? 
David is saying, I'm going through a difficult time. What does God do? Here I am surrounded by enemies. God says, let's eat. He prepares the table. He says, David, in the middle of your fear, sit at the table with me. And I love this. He says, and my cup overflows. For years, I didn't know what this meant. What does, what does this mean? Until I understood it's a Jewish idiom of the time. The Jews were cold-blooded, man. If a Jew invited you over to his house or her house in the time of David, and you're sitting there for a couple of hours and you're enjoying good food, good company, and then you notice your cup, you're out of your beverage, and then you said, I I'd like some more to drink. If they were ready for you to go, they'd only put about a quarter to a half of a cup in there. <laughs> it was their way of saying, man, uh, don't spend too much time. But if they wanted you to stay, they'd fill that cup all the way up to the top. It was their way of saying, this is good company, let's keep it going. David says, in the midst of my valley, God prepares a table. He says, let's eat. And what does he do? My cup overflows. It is God's way of saying, stay at the table. Let's enjoy each other's company. I want to eat with you and feast with you. And then these words in Revelation 3.20, will you hear them with me? Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Do you see the hospitality? Why should I show hospitality? Here it is. Because you got saved by the hospitality of Jesus Christ. So for us to receive the hospitality of Jesus Christ, the stranger, Jesus, knocking on our door, we open up the door. Jesus steps in, and he is eating with us and feasting with us. And all of a sudden, we say, we don't have time for the stranger that cuts against the grain of how salvation works. And then I love this. Let's go home. He says, do not neglect to show hospitality to others. Because in some cases, you have entertained angels unaware. I love it. He says, when you make space through ordinary elements like tables and food and Chick-fil-A and caps, you make space for the supernatural to happen. So a couple weeks ago, I'm with a buddy of mine um, down in Palm Springs. Uh, we got board meetings down there. And a, one of my best friends in life, man, uh, he just moved to Southern California. I said, let's get together. And he, he drives an hour, and, uh, and we go hang out at a restaurant. And uh, the lady waiting on us um, is just really dressed in a very revealing way. So my buddy and I are just like, it's a little awkward here. Um, Let's just challenge each other, eyes on each other. We don't need to be eyes right here. But she just keeps coming around, like more than what's normal for a person who's a waitress. She just keeps coming around, coming around, coming around. And she's kind of, I mean, we're treating her like bruh man. 
And finally she goes, there's just something about you guys. You mind if I sit at the table with you? <laughs> oh, man, this is like, wow, okay. Come on, come on, come on. So she pulls up, sits down, and she just starts sharing her life story. She talks about how her mom got pregnant with her, and it was a bit of a surprise, how her dad was adamant to her mom that she needed to have an abortion. And uh, her mom tried the abortion, but it didn't work, obviously. And here she is, and she just keeps thinking, man, there's got to be more to life than I'm just absolutely purpose. At the same time, there's a big old tattoo on her forearm. It's a tattoo of an anchor with the number 619 on it. I'm like, tell me about those numbers 619. She goes, oh, it's Hebrews 619, Jesus is the anchor. I said, oh, are you a believer? She says, no, I just thought it'd be cool. <laughs> so we're just, this is strange conversation. And, but, I mean, she's just teeing it up. Just sitting at the table, food, drink, ordinary elements. And me and my buddy just look at it, look at one another, and we look at her and go, I think God's orchestrated the events of your life so that you're sitting at a table, and you're not going to believe this, we're both pastors. I mean, sometimes you have those duh moments, right? Where the Holy Spirit's like, duh, I can't make it any more clear. Say something about Jesus. She gets Hebrews 6.19 tattooed and is not a believer. And we said, you know what? We believe nothing happens in our lives by accident. The fact that your mother tried to abort you and you're still here. The fact that of all the restaurants we could have chosen, God navigated our steps to sit in your section. You need to know Jesus. She says, well, how does that happen? We said, Repeat this prayer after us. If you want to do it silently, that's fine. Because her manager's like looking at her now. <laughs> and we start, my, my buddy starts saying the prayer and she starts repeating it out loud. Like with conviction. Like tears streaming down her face. Listen, I'm going to take the pressure off. Because some of you, you hear the word evangelism, blood pressure spikes. Just invite them over for food. And if they invite you, go over there. They don't have to just come to your turf, go to theirs. I told you the other week, my wife and I were just at a house packed with our lesbian friends. <laughs> and God bless my youngest son who can't whisper, are you uncomfortable? Shut up, boy. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> Could be at your apartment. Could be with your Uber driver. And they've got Chick-fil-A's here, by the way. Could be a cup of coffee at a Starbucks. Show friendship to strangers. No one's in your life by accident. And to live in the way of Jesus is to say, how can I take my resources 
and use it at a, as a bridge for relationship. So, Father, we bless you. We are saved because you showed us hospitality. <laughs> Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And we opened up. And you came in. And you're seated at the table right now with us. And we say thank you. Now, Father, would you push us and encourage us? Show us how we can show hospitality to others. How are that looks? Get us outside of ourselves. Some of us are very introverted, like myself. But introversion, Lord God, is always trumped by the power of the Holy Spirit. So push us, encourage us to share what you've blessed us with with others. Do it, Father, we pray. Now, Lord God, I believe that someone needs to receive the hospitality of Jesus today. I believe Jesus is knocking on someone's hearts as our elders and prayer team members come right now. Jesus, you're knocking on someone's heart. And someone needs to say yes to you. So, Father God, we pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would save someone's soul right now. As we prepare for, the, for communion, Lord God, we thank you. It is a, another meal, another sign of your hospitality because here you are right when you're about to be betrayed. You've got, you've got the table set up and you're doing hospitality. And we look to this table right now thankful yet again for the hospitality of Jesus who paid the ultimate price by giving not just his food, but giving his very life, his body and blood that we might be saved.